You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Amen. Well, it's fantastic to be here. Uh, Special sort of... uh, uh, expression of love and care for you if you are one of our COVID patients this week. We know we've got lots of people joining us online because you're, you've got COVID or you're self-isolating or whatever. And so uh, just praying for you. I uh, hope God's with you and, and you, you're experiencing God's presence whilst you're self-isolating. Um, we're in a series at the moment called Doing Different, uh, uh, Do Different. And, and the reason we're doing that is because we are living in very confusing, very complex, very difficult days, uh, very turbulent days. And uh, uh, it would be so easy to just kind of muddle along and go with the flow and just do what everyone else is doing. And yet Jesus is calling us to live differently. Uh, and so we've looked at uh, how would we live differently with our money? Everyone else is consuming. Uh, what, what does it look like to live lives of outrageous generosity? Uh, Taryn talked about comfort. You know, that it's like a, the great idol, the great goal of our day. How do I live comfortably? Uh, and yet Jesus never promised comfort to those of us who, who are his disciples. Today we're going to be looking at social media. Uh, how would we as Christians live in the the virtual space, in the digital space. Uh, And um, we're going to be reading in a moment from Galatians chapter 5. But before we do that, I just wanted to share a little bit of testimony, really, about how we've come to be looking at this subject, and particularly how I've come to be speaking about this subject today. So Taryn and I and a bunch of the other leaders, we're part of a learning community, a group of leaders, church leaders from around Europe who meet together every six months. And we've been doing that for, well, for years, seven or eight years at least. And um, it's always immensely encouraging and inspiring just hearing what's happening and trying to learn from other people who are leading much bigger churches, more complicated churches than ours. And often it's been really uncomfortable as well because... uh, uh, you, you know, you know when you see somebody doing something really brilliant, and you just think, "Oh my goodness, we've got such a long way to go." And uh, we, every time we meet together, we look at different topics. Um, the most recent one in October, I'll admit to being slightly relieved because uh, in October there, they emailed us just before the event to say, hey, this time we're going to be looking at the emerging generation, uh, children and youth, and, and ministry to children and youth. And I was like, oh. I'm so relieved. At least this one, I can, you know, just relax. Because, number one, I know that the guys who are involved in our kids and youth ministry in our church are extraordinary. They're spectacular, and they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, And number two, because I have not very much to do with uh, kids and youth ministry uh, at this time, and so I was like, oh, good, I can just kind of relax and sit this one out. How wrong could I be? in about the second session, something like that, there was a guy who was speaking, and he, his name was Tim Alford. He is the, uh, I suppose, the, the director of youth for the Elim denomination. And he was speaking about his deep concern for the mental health of the young people that he's working with. And in particular, he was sharing this uh, story about... a. Uh, uh, 
a conversation that he'd been in, a, 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 a small group conversation with a group of young people, and he was asking them, like, what kinds of things do you think you could do that would improve your mental health? And they came up with a bunch of different ideas. And then he said, what kinds of things do you think you're doing in your life that would do damage to your mental health? And they all immediately shot back with the same answer. And they only had one answer. They said, social media is damaging our mental health. And so he asked them, goodness, you've all come up with the same thing. Uh, what about if you were to try to limit your exposure to social media, perhaps, you know, a day a week or uh, even just forever, just pull away from social media and not do that anymore? How would that help? And uh, they said, we've tried to stop social media, but we can't stop. And so this brilliant guy, Tim Alford, he said, isn't that the very definition of an addiction? You know that something's doing you harm and you try to stop, but you just can't stop. And then he went on to say, if, if there was a group of people, a large group of people in your churches that were struggling with any other kind of addiction, then you would move heaven and earth to try to resolve it. You know, if, if there were people uh, addicted to drugs or gambling or alcohol, and it was all of the young people and a whole bunch of other people, you would, you would use all of the resources at your disposal to try to help them. And he said, you're not doing that with this addiction. And he said, there's a couple of reasons why we as church leaders don't deal with this stuff. The first reason is because it's become so normal, or, or at least normalized. And so it's just like the very definition of that phrase, just because, just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it right. But also he said, really the real reason why church leaders are not dealing with this issue of digital addiction is because we're addicted to. Well, I'll tell you, I felt like I've been stabbed in the chest. And uh, the truth is that I've been on a personal journey over the last few months of trying to resolve this particular issue in my own life and take particular steps to try to uh, just limit the impact of this device on my life. But um, uh, the, the other thing is I thought to myself, well, it's like now October, so if I put something in the diary to speak to the church in like February, March time, then by that time I'll have completely resolved this issue in my life. And of course, it's been really, really hard. And I'm standing here as something of a hypocrite uh, and certainly somebody who's on a journey. But I just think it's an incredibly important issue that, that we must look at. Like as a leader, as a pastor in the church, I feel compelled to speak about this issue today. And so we're going to read from Galatians chapter 5. Um, it would be lovely if we could say, oh, let's just turn to the part of the Bible where the Apostle Paul talks about Facebook or Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this book was written sometime before the invention of Facebook and Twitter, and so we can't do that. But I think this passage is really helpful. Because here is the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to a group of people who he dearly loves. And they're, they're people who he has personally led to the Lord. And so he was there, he was present at the moment where they found Jesus. And he saw them go from this place of uh, slavery and uh, kind of bondage and, and captivity to sin and he saw them step out into this wide open space of freedom and, and uh, liberty. 
and, uh, and then after he'd moved on from there to go and lead more people to Jesus and plant more churches in other places, some other people came into the churches in Galatia and they said, hey, listen, we've got some other thoughts, some other ideas, some other behaviors, some other practices that you want to think about. And so from a distance, he could see that these guys were essentially having an impact on their freedom and that over time, these believers that he loved, their, their um, wide open space, their liberty, their freedom was, was shrinking and getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so he's writing out of this place of enormous concern. And in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, he says this, it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then for the sake of time, we'll skip forward to verse 13. He says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, <laughs> immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's God's word to us today. I wonder where I am on my notes. Okay, so what I'm proposing to do for, for the rest of our time together is to look at the problem or the set of problems as I see them and then to, to try to apply these scriptures to the problem and see how would the scriptures help us today and you might say I don't understand what the problem is you know some people they like to play Scrabble some people like to spot planes or trains you know I just like playing Wordle you know I, I just like to just it just so happens that my particular hobby is wrapped up in this little box here uh, to which I would say well uh, uh, that may be the case, and I, I'm conscious, especially, you know, I, I've, I've been around some of the sites and I've, I've, I've done this talk. Uh, I'm especially conscious today that there are people who are joining us online through a screen in the digital space for a particular reason, because, you know, you're unwell, you're self-isolating, you're whatever. And so, and so if, if I was to say, well, just stop using screens, that would be an enormous issue for you. But, but what I do want to say is that this... Um, issue is an issue that affects so many people and so if it doesn't personally affect you if you only use social media to contact your brother who lives in Australia or whatever it is then then God bless you but there are people who you know and love who are being significantly affected by this device and uh, um, all of the science proves that this, these devices have a, a significant influence in our lives in three particular ways. And 
conveniently as a preacher they all begin with A. The first one is this, anxiety, or, or you could say wider mental health. We all know that we're at the center, the epicenter of a global mental health crisis. And study after study has proved that these devices are having a damaging effect for lots of people in terms of their mental health. The guy who I talked about, Tim Alford, he had done all kinds of research. And so some of this research is his research. He found that a study conducted by the Royal Society for Public Health found that four out of the five main platforms for uh, uh, social media are harmful for mental health, with the most damaging being Instagram. I wonder whether you'd guess that. A survey carried out by Youth for Christ of a thousand young people found that 67% of young people said that social media, social media was the main negative influence in their lives. I don't know whether you can wrap your head around that. They asked a whole lot of young people, what's the main negative influence? And the, and Two-thirds of them said social media is the biggest. It's astonishing. Uh, a, a survey conducted by Monitoring the Future tracked the link between screen time and happiness over a number of years, and it concluded that the more time we spend on our screens, the more likely we are to report symptoms of depression. A global youth culture report found that heavy internet users are more likely to be anxious, depressed, and have suicidal thoughts. And lastly, one of the main ways that these things have an impact on our lives, in, in our mental health, is to do with the, the impact on our sleep. Um, partly because m many of you, will, many of us, are familiar with that moment when you're in a really deep and heavy sleep and then suddenly you're awoken by a or a ping, or a whatever it is, an alert of some kind. And then once you're awake, it's very, very difficult to get back to sleep again. The other thing is that these devices use a particular kind of light. It's a kind of a blue-colored light that affects, hang on, let me get this right. It affects the amount of melatonin in the brain, which means that we're not sleeping as well as we could. And a study found that anyone who spends more than three hours a day on a screen, which is probably most of us, that increases our chances of sleep deprivation by 20%, which increases the presence of a stress hormone called cortisol, which may, makes us 40% more likely to suffer from clinical depression. So all of that is to say that uh, we may sin sincerely believe that these devices are having no impact on our mental health, but it's likely that we are sincerely wrong. Uh, anxiety is a huge issue that we need to deal with. The second one is attention. I don't know about anyone else, but I, I am conscious that my concentration span, my ability to focus on something for a prolonged period of time is, is taking a real hit. And it may just be my age, obviously, and as I grow older, I can't concentrate as well. But um, it's very likely that these devices are, are, de are having a damaging effect on our ability to concentrate. Uh, and the reason for that is because these devices are specifically designed to draw our attention at any moment. The, the, the big tech companies, they want us to, to be never more than a few feet away from our phone at any particular point, And they want us to have our phone in our hand because they're selling our attention as a commodity to all of their customers. The notifications and the various messages that pop up are literally rewiring or remapping the 
the, the um, makeup of our brains and they're affecting our ability to concentrate. And of course, the other problem with these things taking our attention away is that they're taking our attention away from the people who should be receiving our attention. Um, I was going to show at this point a video. And the video is harrowing. It's about five and a half minutes long. It's, it's uh, some, uh, something I found on, on the internet of a child. Um, uh, they're in a, uh, like a, an airport departure lounge uh, and, or something like that. And the, the mother is there. She's got a young girl there. She's maybe 18 months, two, two years old. And she's tugging at her mum's arm. And her mum's just swiping and tapping on her phone. And, and this little girl is getting progressively more upset. She's tugging, she's prodding, mummy, 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 mummy. And the mother's still just swiping and tapping. And eventually this little girl, she's throwing herself on the floor, she's hitting herself. Mummy, mummy, she's sobbing, she's screaming, she's hysterical. And her mum just continues to swipe or, or tap on her phone. The reason why I decided to not show that video is because in our house, it's not normally mummy, mummy, mummy. It's dad, dad, dad. These devices are robbing our attention from the people who really deserve and need our attention. The, um, I, I heard someone speaking recently about a visit to the Mona Lisa. They visited the Mona Lisa twice, 20 years apart. And the first time they went to visit the Mona Lisa, they queued up for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. As they got near the front, they were excited. They got to the front, and there they were looking at the Mona Lisa in all of her glory. I, I don't know whether you've ever done that. Anyway, 20 years later, they go back, and they queue up. The queue's exactly the same, but something is dramatically different. Everybody, when they get to the front of the queue and they're standing in front of the Mona Lisa, they don't look at the Mona Lisa themselves. They turn with their backs to the Mona Lisa and they take a selfie with the Mona Lisa. These devices are, are uh, causing us to, to not be fully present in our own lives. And life is passing us by. These have a, 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 an effect on our attention. The third thing is they are causing addiction. Of course, all of the, everything I've said so far would be sobering enough if it was easy to just stop doing it. But the truth is it's incredibly difficult to stop. And the big tech companies have worked extremely hard to make sure that, that these devices are attached to us at all times. And research has shown that all of the likes and the comments and the retweets and the uh, notifications, they all provide us with a rush of um, dopamine into our systems. Dopamine is the brain chemical that uh, affects our mood and is specifically related to reward and motivation. On average, an adult in the UK touches their phone more than 2,400 times every day. What that says to me is that's not a decision that we're making. That's compulsive behavior. That's involuntary behavior. That's, that's the very um, definition of addiction. We don't even know that we're doing it. And uh, so it seems to me that we're not so much using our phones as our phones are using us. 
uh, like I said, I've been aware of this, the impact of this thing in my own life for several months. And I'll tell you, I've, I've taken all kinds of steps. I found it incredibly difficult to limit the use of my phone in my own life. Addiction is a huge issue. Um, listen, I know that, I know, let me just pause for a moment to say, I know I sound like Chicken Little, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I sound like one of those guys who just walks around outside shopping centres, you know, like we're all doomed. I know that. But I just feel compelled to speak about this stuff because I think it's so hugely important. So what would the scriptures have us do? The first thing I think these scriptures would say to us today is wake up, wake up. In an earlier chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And and I want to say, I I believe, I've come to believe that we are being bewitched or we have been bewitched by these big tech companies who've caused us to think that these things are innocuous and just helpful and, and a useful thing to have in our lives and a bit of entertainment when actually there's something more sinister going on. Um... Uh, And here in our passage in in chapter 5, verse 15, he simply says, watch out, watch out. And his concern for the Galatians is that they're they're not um, aware, that they're they're sleepwalking into slavery. And I'm sure that the same is true for many of us. He can see their freedom in Christ diminishing and the freedom of their lives diminishing. And he wants to do something about it. Um... Someone said to me recently, if you're not paying for the app, then you are the customer. So, no, you're not the customer, you're the product. What a terrifying thing to be a product, to be sold. And so, so, so often throughout the scriptures, the, the, the Apostle Paul and others, they're saying, listen, you need to lean towards maturity. You need to work towards maturity. What does maturity look like in this stuff? I think it's to do with discernment. I think it's to do with insight. I think it's to do with being aware, being alert, being of sober mind. You know, I think it's to do with waking up. And so uh, I think, first of all, the Apostle Paul would say, watch out, wake up. The second thing is, I think he'd say, invite God into this situation. Invite God in. When we were kids, I was never off my bike. Like my poor mother, she's got just stacks and stacks of photos of me and all of my pals lined up with our our bikes in a row, all of us leaning on our handlebars, one kid trying to be Evil Knievel at the end. And some of you don't even know who Evil Knievel is, which makes me so depressed. Uh, But... um, uh, anyway, so, so I, I just love being on my bike. And so one summer holiday, my, my dad was out at work and my mum was maybe busy somewhere else in the house. And so I was like, uh, I'm going to go into the garage and get my bike. And as I, as I went towards my bike, just in the corner of my eye, I saw a whole shelf full of tins of paint. And I was like, ah. It was like an epiphany. I could use these tins of paint to paint my bike. And so I went through the tins. Magnolia, not really a great colour to paint a bike, but there was like this um, light blue emulsion that had been used to paint the walls of the kitchen. And I was like, I could paint the frame of my bike with this light blue emulsion. Now, I don't know whether you know anything about 
paint and decorating, but you don't want to use light blue emulsion to paint metal. Like, that's never going to work. But I'm just slapping it on. I had to put it on so thick because it kept just kind of like just falling off. And so I'm just smearing it all over the bike. And then I saw in the corner of my eye the red paint that my dad had used to paint one of the walls of my sister's bedroom. And I thought, I'm going to paint the wheels and the spokes of my bike bright red. And so I just, again, smeared that on. It wasn't sticking. It was just a total mess. Um, and, so, and then I put the bike out in the front garden to dry. I mean, it was never going to dry. Never. Um, and so my dad comes home from work, he parks the car outside, he walks past the bike, he's like, I wonder what that is. He said, what's happened, son? Oh, I've painted my bike. It's just out there in the garden to dry. He's like, oh, okay, fine. So anyway, like, three days later, the bike is still out in the garden, drying. And he just takes me uh, into the living room, he sits me on his lap, and he just said, son, I would have helped you if only you'd asked. It seems to me that we ask God to intervene in some parts of our lives. In fact, we're desperate for God to intervene in some parts of our lives. But the Lord wants to be invited in to every part of our lives. And when it comes to this stuff, we might never have thought before about inviting the Lord to have an active role to play in our use of social media. But why would we not start that right now? And in fact, in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, God's heart for us is that we would be free. And um, you see that there in verse 1. <clears throat> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Or verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. So God's heart for us is that we'd be, we'd be free. But it's not that, you know, he's not saying, oh, well, I want you to be free. I hope that goes well for you. I'm sure you'll figure it out. That's not at all what he's doing. In fact, he's deploying all of the power and all of the might of heaven in order that he would help us become free. And, and so that's why he says there in verse six, uh, 16, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God is giving us the Holy Spirit in order that we could break free from anything that binds us. So why would we not invite the Lord to do that? The third thing I think this passage would say to us is to take back control, to take back control. One of the things that we've loved as a, as a family over the years is going to the cinema, uh, especially when our kids were little, and I don't know whether they still do this, but the cinema in, in Aberdeen used to do... Uh, family films for a pound on Saturday mornings and my kids were always up so early on Saturday mornings and so like lots of Saturdays it'd be like what should we do let's take them to the cinema and then we can sleep in the cinema while they watch the film so anyway um it was always like a human science experiment because my kids even though they're you know the same parents they 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 were so different two of our kids you know we'd give them a little packet of sweets at the start of the, the film or, or, you know, just as we're sitting down and a little bottle of juice and the lights ha haven't even gone down yet and they're already stuffing all of the sweets into their mouths. I don't know whether you've ever played the game Chubby Bunnies where you just literally just fill your mouth with sweets and they were like dribble coming down their chins. They couldn't even chew because they had so many sweets in their mouths. And then about ten minutes into the film they'd be saying, Dad, can I have some more sweets? And they'd be like, no, sorry, you, you, you've had your sweets. You know, wh wh why did you just eat them so quickly? Oh, I just couldn't help it, Dad. I couldn't help it. 
and then our other child, who shall remain nameless, would sit there, legs crossed, arms folded, little packet of sweets on their lap for the entire film until such a moment as they believed they were experiencing peak enjoyment of the film and then they would just take out one sweet at a time and just enjoy it and then on to the next sweet and it would last for the, for the whole thing. And my point is that so often in life we say, do you know what, I just can't help it. I'd like to be able to stop, uh, uh, but I just, I just can't. I don't, I, it's not within me to be able to do that. To which I say, do you know the fascinating thing about this passage and about what God is wanting to, to work and to do in our lives is that if we look there in verse 22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is not only love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, it's also self-control. God, by his Spirit, is giving us self-control. It's time to take back control of our lives by the power of God. And I wonder what you think that looks like. Well, helpfully, this guy, Tim Alford, he said, there are four things, four practices that he encourages his young people, the young people he works with, to, to put in place when it comes to this digital space. And I found them so helpful. The first one is, he says, take a digital Sabbath. So in other words, for one day a week, put your phone in a drawer or turn off all the apps or, or turn, it, turn your phone off. Withdraw from the digital world in order that you can be fully present to your family and your friends and also fully present to the Lord. Take a digital Sabbath. The second one is, he says, turn off your notifications. You know, the, the notifications are specifically designed so that um, your phone is always in your hand. Uh, and um, it's like basically saying, oh, I need you, I need you, I need you. Uh, and he says, if you turn off your notifications, then, then actually you'll only come to your phone when you need it rather than when it needs you. And I found that incredibly helpful. You know, I do not need to be, uh, I do not need to have the, the BBC News app pinging, telling me what's happening in Ukraine every 10 minutes. I know what's happening in Ukraine. You know, I, do, I don't need Twitter or Facebook telling me, I've, you know, someone's liked a tweet or, or whatever. I can discover that in my own good time. Another thing, this is just, this isn't in my notes, but Dave Hall and Hazel Hall, they, they told me, they said, we've found that turning your screen into black and white really helps, and there's a setting on your phone to do that. I've found that that's probably the most helpful piece of advice I've managed to discover so far. It changes the way that you see your phone. It's really, really strange, but it works. So turn, turn off notifications. Third one, give your phone a bedtime. If this thing is affecting your sleep, which it almost certainly is, then at least an hour before bed, he says, uh, turn your phone off or put it in another part of the house. You don't need your phone uh, immediately before bed if it's going to damage your sleep. And then the last thing he says to the young people is, he says, Jesus before phone. Jesus before phone. By which he means, you know, uh, and Obviously, no one I know, least of all me, has ever done this. But imagine that you were to just wake up in the morning and roll over in bed and just reach for your phone. I mean, perish the thought. He says, instead of doing that, why don't you commit to always the first thing that you reach for is your Bible and not your phone? Even if just for a few seconds, even to just read one verse of scripture or, or you know, a, a, just a, a tiny portion of the Bible, 
just and, and just take a moment to just be with Jesus before the phone. He says, wouldn't that set your day up better if you, if you, were, if you started your day with Jesus? And uh, he's got this natty little phrase. He says, I will spend time with God alone before I spend any time with my phone. And you know what? That's his advice to young people. I've personally found that advice incredibly helpful and I'm no longer a young person. The last one uh, is this. I think the, the scriptures would say to us, it's time to shine like stars. Shine like stars. Do you know, the thing that struck me about this passage even though it was written 2,000 years ago before the invention of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, uh, and written about an entirely different situation than the one I'm speaking about in so many ways, and yet it could have been written about the worst parts, the worst aspects of the internet. You know, I know that there's people watching this. The only reason you use the internet is, is to, to, to stay in contact with the world because you're housebound or whatever. I know that other people, you use it to contact your family in other parts of the world. But th there, are, there is another use for the internet that is really, really dark. And he, he, he's talking about, he could have been speaking about the internet in verse 15, where he talks about people biting and devouring each other, or being in conflict with each other, verse 16, or hatred, discord, jealousy, and fits of rage, in verse 20. He talks about people gratifying the desires of the flesh, in verse 16, and about distorted and unhealthy expressions of sex and sexuality, in verse 20. And his challenge to the Galatians is, you don't need to live like that. You know, Jesus is calling you to, to march to the beat of a different drum, to come in a different spirit, to behave in an entirely different way from everyone else. And so he says the entire law, verse 15, is fulfilled in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, do you know the whole world is messed up and confused and broken and unkind but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, I, my hope in speaking about this stuff today is, is that we'll, as a church family, go on a journey with this stuff. That, that I, I think what I'm hoping to do is to just initiate a conversation that will play out in connect groups and in different environments of our church for, for some years. And we'll learn together. We'll figure this thing out. We'll, we'll come to a different place when it comes to this stuff. But the... I, I, and for some of us, we might say, to, to be honest, I just need to just get a different kind of phone. I think I'm, I'm nearly there where I'm thinking, I'm just going to have to get one of those old brick phones with the big buttons. But to, to the degree to which we continue to engage on the internet, to engage on social media, to be to still present in the virtual world, let's make a decision together. We will never come with devouring, backbiting, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, gratifying the desires of the flesh. Instead, let's make sure that every interaction we have on the internet and in the virtual space is with love, loving our neighbor as ourself, being kind, being generous, being encouraging, trying to be a positive influence into that dark space. The world needs us in this time Never, perhaps more than, more than ever in our lifetimes, to be people of hope and kindness and love. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we are grateful that you're with us, that you're for us, that your 
heart, your desire for our lives, your go the goal for our lives is absolute and total freedom. And so I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters who are joining us online. And I pray, Jesus, that you would make us more free. You, you would give us the power to say no to temptation in all of its forms. That you would give us the self-control that we need to make a stand against all the things that are trying to drag us down. And we pray that you give us insight, wisdom, discernment when it comes to all of these things. I just pray for anyone who's watching today or listening or catching up later. I pray, Jesus, whatever is binding us, set us free. Set us free. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.